Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Hi everyone, we're here with Morgan uh, Hanalek. Hi Morgan. Hi. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I've been doing a lot of conversations with people and I'm so happy to have you here. Morgan is a mental health speaker. She's on Instagram. She Her profile, I think, is so great at just raising ED awareness, eating disorder awareness, and showing her journey. That's why I started following her. And um, she's also an author, and she's the author of Somber Suffocation. You can get that on Amazon, and it's all about her journey. So Morgan, tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So I am currently 23 years old. Um, I am training to be a therapist, hopefully an eating disorder therapist. And I wrote my book when I was Actually, I published it when I was 20, but I wrote it. <laughs> it is weird when I say it out loud, mm-hmm. but um, I wrote it when I was around 16 to 20. So it's actually my journal. Like I essentially published my journal. Oh, wow. I, I kind of wanted parents and even people struggling as well to know that they aren't alone, to have insight on what it's like in the gruesome realities of an eating disorder because I feel as if the media tends to glamorize it at times when Absolutely. it's not pretty at all and recovery isn't pretty at all either and I think the media glamorizes recovery too is this it's like this beautiful sunshine rainbow when actually it's really really messy and yeah. I think I think it's important to put my story out there and write about kind of the factors of how I developed it like how this middle class white stable family girl ended up developing like such a life-threatening disorder and mm-hmm. I think it provides a lot of insight and you can kind of read my perception my 16 year old perception as I go along through the journey I'm actually currently working on a second book where it's more clinical whereas oh, okay. this first book is just kind of like my story of how this even happened in the first place is the is the book um so you said it's kind of like your 16-year-old self, so you started writing it at 16? Yes. Okay, all right. Sorry, you just broke up a little bit there. But so, okay, oh, okay you're back, cool. <laughs> but um, so you started writing it at 16, and how long does it go through? So it pretty much goes throughout 16 to like, 17-ish so it's like this kind of actually more it's like like 15 16-ish 17 18-ish so it's kind of like the main struggle and then like kind of the intervention where I got professional help and then there's a bit of an epilogue kind of saying like down the road where I ended up and what I do now and that's a big reason why I'm writing the second book because there's a lot of pieces that I feel like I can add about like the nitty-gritty in between it's more so this book is more so how I developed it in the first place it kind of it's a stigma breaker for sure okay yeah I I totally agree on the glamorization to eating disorders I feel like that there was some movie that was recently released on Netflix I don't know what it was maybe it was a few years ago but I felt like it was just showing this very stereotypical person with an eating disorder and a lot of people think you have to be in a certain 
race and certain economic status maybe and you have to look a certain way to have an eating disorder and I was just talking with someone today and they they're one of my friends and she was she came to me and asked me about eating disorders because she wasn't sure if she was struggling and she's like well I don't think it's really that bad and she, but she's like thinking about food all day she's obsessing about it and she's feeling guilty after eating food and I was like no like that's not normal or good you know yeah. so I think it's great that you're doing that Thank you. I, yeah. I agree with that. I mean, I think it's it's really easy for people to push invisible disorders under the rug, especially with eating disorders, where eating disorders don't look a certain way. I mean, you can literally have any physical appearance and still suffer with one. So it's easy to try to undermine it or act like it's not a problem. Yeah, especially when you see these people in the media that are just like, bone thin or something like that. And you're like, oh, yeah. it's never that bad. And it's like, yeah, yeah but you're still suffering. Yeah, um, a lot of people say that to me too. Like they'll say, "Well, I was never as bad as you." And yeah, well, I mean, like medical complications do come with eating disorders, but it doesn't define the disorder by yeah. any means. Yeah. yeah, and just like the mental trauma of constantly worrying about your weight, worrying about food, worrying about the guilt of it, like that takes a toll on you too. Stress. Yeah, it takes away from your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it does. It takes away from your life. Um, how did you eventually? seek help because like we were saying before you sought professional help how did you what was that process like so throughout my adolescence I struggled with this eating disorder and looking back at it now I I look at it and I actually kind of wonder why I didn't get help sooner when I look at it and this is mostly because Yes, I was struggling mentally, and that was that was very clear. And also, I had the physical complications as well. So a lot of people could very clearly see I was struggling, even though I wasn't always voicing it. And what my parents would do probably every three months or so is they would put a scale in the kitchen, and they would ask me to step on it. And they would see the weight, and they would see it gone down from whatever it was before. And they really didn't have much education on eating disorders or know really how to handle these tough emotions. So what they would do is they would threaten to send me away somewhere if I didn't start eating. And wow. they would freak me out because I thought like, oh man, I'm letting my family down. So then this is when I would go on my binges and followed by a purge. So it was kind of like this cycle of restricting so heavily, getting triggered, binging, purging. And eventually... I think the day that I, I got help was the day uh, little 16-year-old me was able to say, hey, I need help. And that's, it seems so simple, but I mean, I, there were a lot of different things that came into that moment. It was kind of like my rock bottom where I started to realize, like, this is a problem that's not going away and I can't do this alone. And that was a hard pill for me to swallow because I'm I'm independent. I I'm stubborn. I want to do things on my own, get things done. And I, there's some shame, I guess, in me Mm -hmm. asking for help. And when I finally was able to ask, my dad actually did uh, researches on centers and I ended up getting evaluated and they recommended that I stay residential. So that's how it started. It's kind of got the ball rolling. That's staying at your home, but getting therapy. I'm not as familiar with that. So residential actually is when you actually live in a treatment center. Okay. Yeah. So I I lived there for about three weeks or so, and this was about two and a half hours from my home. So I was terrified of them. I mean, I was 16 year old with an eating disorder on my own living in this strange place, which was obviously other people. Yeah. 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 The same thing and people that are taking care of you, but don't know you. 
Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And, but honestly, that intensity is what I really needed at that time. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you're right. There's a a lot of shame and asking for help. And I think it's because you don't want to admit that you need help. There's some sort of weird pride there. Even at 16, I remember being a 16 year old. I did struggle with an eating disorder, but it was more my adult life that I had trouble with it. Yeah. Uh, But I always thought that asking for help was weak. (laughs) <laughs> which is ridiculous now I kind of laugh about it it's like I had teachers teaching me math and I had all these different things you know and I would ask them for help but when it came to personal issues I, issues I always thought that um no I shouldn't have to ask and no one else is asking for help so it's great that you were able to overcome that at such a young age I mean yeah, I guess you sure. hit rock bottom but that's pretty similar there, there's a breaking yeah. point yeah, for sure. And I think that kind of what you even just said about that math example really plays into just the stigma behind it. I mean, I remember when I, I went away for a little bit and I came back and people like were kind of afraid to talk to me for a little bit. Like it, it was an odd experience coming back from treatment when I was a junior, no, sophomore actually in, in high school. And I came back and I, I was treated a lot differently. And I was, I always think like if I had broken my leg, and I had gone back to school, everyone would have been like, oh my gosh, are you okay? Can I sign your cast? Mm-hmm. But because of that stigma around mental health, I got treated differently. But I want to circle back around to the actual treatment center, but how did you handle that? People, because that's a huge fear, is people knowing about yeah. your eating disorder. And I just kind of like, with a podcast, I really just like ripped it off with a Band-Aid. But yeah. how did you uh, deal with that? I think the, the secret for me that has helped me feel validated and able to validate myself is being completely raw and honest with both myself and others while also implementing appropriate boundaries Mm. so while going back to school yeah if I felt like I was in a place to talk about it I would but if I wasn't in a place to do that I would be honest about the fact that I wasn't in a place so I think it was a a balance between being honest about the fact that I was struggling and honoring the fact that I was struggling as well as implementing appropriate boundaries when it wasn't something that I wanted to talk about at the time right well okay so say I want to get specific because my audience would probably love to hear this if someone came up to you at school and they were like Morgan what happened and you didn't want to tell them about it what exactly would you say to them? Like, how'd you set that boundary without being <laughs> incredibly rude or something? Yeah. Um, I think in, in moments like that, I would say something along the lines of like, hey, thank you so much for checking in and your concern. Um, I, I'm going through some stuff right now and I'm not really sure if I'm ready to exactly talk about it, but I really appreciate you checking up on me. And when I'm in a place to talk about it, I definitely can if, you, if you're still interested in learning a bit more about what's been going on. Mm, that's awesome that's really mature for a 17 year old to say (laughs) I imagine myself as 17 I was nowhere near that way don't worry that 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 didn't come right away there was a lot of poking up in between to get to that that point (laughs) well and I like that you say you have to be honest with yourself too because when you're constantly lying to yourself about things it's it's hard for you to tell anyone because you haven't accepted it yourself right you don't want to you don't want it to be true until you for sure don't want it to be true for other people. You're like, I don't even know how to handle it. You can't know about it yet. Yeah. And honestly, that honesty and being staying true to yourself and your feelings is probably one of the most validating things you can do for yourself. Because if you think of any situation, really, and you think about its context, behavior will always make sense. 
And that's, that's super validating to know that because I, I blamed myself for my eating disorder for a really long time. And when I was able to put together the pieces and start to learn that I wouldn't have been doing those things if I didn't think that that was the appropriate coping mechanism for me at that time. Right. So like that, that takes a lot of pressure off me in a way where I think like I, that was all I knew. That's all I knew what to do at that time. That's what I thought the best thing was for me. And I stuck to that. And it's not my fault that I didn't have a better way to deal with my problems at the time because I didn't know. Yeah. Well, you just fall into it sometimes. And yeah. Without, I want people to go read your book and everything, but uh, without giving too much away, why do you think you fell into it? Like what was maybe the main reason? So I think that growing up, I did not get my emotional needs met. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of felt invisible. And I didn't really feel like I had anything special about me. So all my friends were really good at a sport or really good in a class, but I didn't really have anything that made me feel like I was unique or special. And kind of tying in a, a couple things that kind of reinforced the fact that I felt like being thin was how I defined myself and how I felt worthy was the fact that it sounds so silly, but it actually means so much. So when we made human pyramids in class, everyone would always go, Morgan has to go on the top. She's the lightest. And that was probably the, one of the very few times that I had attention drawn to me in my school environment. Oh. So I kind of slipped through the cracks in both home because a lot of my emotional needs weren't met. And then in school where I kind of felt really invisible. And to me, the anecdote for feeling invisible at the time was standing out. And I wanted to stand out through looking a certain way. And that's how I really got into this idea that if I was thin, then I was worthy. And there's so many other factors that go into it, as I'm sure you know. But yeah. that was a big one. That was that's a really so big sad. one. I mean, I know you're fine now, but like, it's just so sad to think about that a lot of people go through that because it's like, I'm, I'm a firm believer that everyone has so many creative, unique things about them that they just aren't utilizing. Like you have a human yeah. brain, you know, there's so much yeah. potential for you, but it's so sad to think that, you know, 16 year old you didn't think that there was anything special about yeah. you other than your thinness. And I, I've never been, um, I was never overweight, but I was never like the skinny girl. And if anything, I've always been a larger girl since I'm taller than the average so I always looked at those thin girls in school and I remember idolizing them I was like oh yeah. they're so small and I, now I'm thinking back in my head I'm like I wonder if those girls felt the way you're describing like that's yeah. the only thing especially about them that's just so yeah. heartbreaking and when I think about it, it it wasn't thinness I was necessarily chasing I mean it, that's what I thought but in reality, I was actually just chasing what I thought was associated with thinness, which is love mm. and worthiness and attention and feeling unique. And quite honestly, if I could go back and like right now and tell my younger self some words of advice, I would, I would look her in the eye and I'd be like, you have so much to you. You have so much substance to you and you have so many interesting things about you. And absolutely none of those things have anything to do with how you look. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think I like you can have aestheticals as long as they're with healthy parameters. That's kind of what I believe. But I, I firmly believe that whether you get to those aestheticals or not, like, again, it has nothing to do with your self-worth. Yeah, for no sure. No matter what. Yeah. Although it's important to know that your body's going to go through so many changes and yeah. accepting it. I mean, you don't even have to love it. You can at least at, you have to get to a point of accepting it. Through yeah. the process. 
yeah, accept it, respect it, at least for yeah. now, like the love comes later on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I wonder if your 16 year old stuff would believe you though, <laughs> you know, because sometimes you have to go through it to, to understand it, which kind of sucks, but yeah. yeah. So what was the adjustment for you going into treatment? What was that like? Well, at first when I went into treatment, I, I was pretty numb to everything. And looking back now, I, I know very well that I was extremely depressed, but I, I didn't know that at the time. So I just thought I didn't have feelings anymore. Mm. So when I, my parents brought me there, I mean, they were, they were terrified. They were scared. They're, they're, they're leaving their sick daughter at a place that she's never been for, for a really long time or what felt like a really long time at that time. And they were scared and I just kind of pretended to be afraid with them and kind of went on my way because at, at that point I was just so numb. And the more time I spent there and the more time I actually started doing the work of, of therapy and properly nourishing my body is when I started to feel again. And I feel like that's when the real adjustment started to come into play was when I started feeling. and all those things that I was pushing down and locking up slowly started to come to the surface. And that's when that, that adjustment and that real work started to begin because I started to, I started to realize how much life I was robbed of because of my eating disorder. I mean, I, I, I can think of times where I took a good look around in the room and I'm like, look where I am. Like, this isn't a life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about a lot of people think that their eating disorder is, again, the only thing special about them, right? And then yeah. they think, it's interesting you said you were depressed, but you didn't really realize you were depressed. And <laughs> I've been there too. I've been like, I feel horrible all the time. This is just what life is like. And when you're in that mindset, you don't really realize that it can be better and there's a life out there. And it's interesting that, you know, you had to go to a facility to really realize that. Um, yeah. And I'm sure being so numb, and then having all those feelings come up, I'm sure that wasn't a super pleasant experience for you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> well, messy. And I mean, like you just said, when when you're so deep within your eating disorder, it's kind of like you have these blinders on. You can't really see anything else. And it's like all your values, all your thoughts, all your goals go into your eating disorder. And that doesn't leave room for other things in your life that actually create a beautiful life. Yeah. Yeah. Because you think it's I have to look a certain way and I do these things and yeah, I used to think that, um, I used to like watch, I guess it was kind of just Disney movies. It was like Cinderella or things like that. And I really thought relationships, it's just like, I just have to be beautiful. And that's all I need to be yep. to have someone fall in love with me. And it's like, but with my eating disorder, my relationships all across, like my friends, my romantic relationships, anything just falling apart because I was just obsessed with looking in a certain way and food. But it, yeah. Yeah. And eating disorder doesn't leave room for other things. No, it is your partner. <laughs> it is your thing. I, I mean, honestly, at the end of every single day, my eating disorder felt like the one thing I could rely on. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I was really lonely. It felt like my best friend. And because it, it took up all of my brain space and time, I didn't have room for relationships or friendships or career goals or ambitions or really being the person that I want to be. Right, right. So um, is there anything, so if you could recommend to someone who is kind of in the midst of their eating disorder right now, and they're thinking about getting treatment, I'll ask you two questions. The first one is they're thinking about getting treatment. How do you think the best way to go about that would be? Like what first steps could they take? I think 
some of the first steps would be definitely talking to your primary care physician first off. Um, and another step would be looking into treatment centers. And a lot of treatment centers actually have phone numbers to be able to learn more information. And even something as simple as that could get the ball rolling, especially because say you called a center and you wanted more information, maybe they'll ask you to do an intake. Or say you call the Need a Helpline, I don't know if you're familiar with that, the yeah. National Resource Association Helpline, and you call them and you're, and you're talking about it and you, you can always ask about resources. I think sometimes with, with treatment, it doesn't always just fall in your lap. And, and sometimes it can, like I said, so you talk to your primary care physician and they recommend it or say you're going to therapy for something and they recommend it. I mean, in those ways, maybe it can fall into your lap and, and it kind of did for me when I asked for help. But a lot of the time, it takes that initiative to do research on different kinds of treatment. I mean, there are different levels of treatment. There are different treatment centers. And really looking into it, giving them a call, giving them an email, getting more information. And then that's from there, that's where you really figure out the logistics of intakes and insurance and location and level of care. Mm -hmm. um, do you know of any good, also, people can't, like, they don't have insurance or something like that. Do you know a good place to go for free? kind of resources? Yeah, um, Project Heal actually has a lot of free resources. So okay. I, I was actually a volunteer for them for a while as a mentor. So they have free peer support groups, which is so helpful because in, in those support groups, you get that recovered perspective and it mm -hmm. gives you hope that there, there's life on the other side, as well as their mentoring program as well, where you are paired with a mentor, which is what I did. And they FaceTime you for a, it was about an hour a week where you just kind of talked about things going on and that was completely free. So that's a major resource right there. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. So a lot of people, like I, I could never afford treatment when I was in that position. So I fortunately, I fell into the life coaching industry and that's how I recovered. So I had a really different uh, recovery process. But yeah. if I had known about those things at the time, then I probably would have gone with those, but you know, whatever. It's my own journey. So yeah. Um, yeah, it happened for a reason. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What would be your advice then for people they they're thinking about recovery, but they're having trouble with the idea of change? Like what do you think would be good for them to know? I think it's important for them to know that this quote and it says a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. And mm -hmm. I like to live by that quote because I think about all the times in my life where I felt stuck or really stagnant. And that's because I, I wasn't doing things that scared me or made me uncomfortable. And I feel like w when you stay within a comfort zone, you really need to ask yourself, is this serving me? And if it is, I mean, great, but most of the time it's not. Right. And yeah. when it's not, you really need to take a big step back and think, well, what do I do to, what do I need to do to change and live the life that I want to live and be the person that I want to be? Mm -hmm. Like I yeah. said, eating disorder robs you of not only your identity, but your future too. Yeah, and when, when you look at the purpose it's serving in your life and you look at all the time, like an eating disorder is a comfort zone. I mean, we, it's an addiction too. I mean, we, we come to know it and do it and routine and habit and it gives us it serves us in so many ways that we, we think is beneficial when in reality it's doing quite the opposite yeah yeah it's 
I compare it a lot to, again, kind of an abusive relationship. That's why, like, you see people that stay in abusive relationships, and they know it's abusive, but they stay in it because it's comfortable to them. It's familiar. And your brain doesn't, like, change. It just wants to stay the same. And any new thing, even if that thing is better long-term, it's uncomfortable to change. So I love the quote that you used. I, um... I have this one up here, it's a for Castillo, and it's, it's uh, I have it on my wall because I loved it. It's called, Discomfort of All Kinds is the Currency to Your Dreams. And I love like, that. Yeah, you just have to be willing to be uncomfortable, and I just, that resonated with me too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's hard to see life on the other side if you don't give it a chance. Mm-hmm, yeah. Oh, I <laughs> like your cat. <laughs> That's funny. The podcast listeners can't see it, but they can watch <laughs> this on YouTube or something. That's funny. Well, thank you for sharing all that. Um, I wanted to see if there's any other questions I had for you. Um, I guess I always like to ask people just any other last bit of advice you'd give to someone who's suffering with an eating disorder right now, anything for them to think about, just anything you have to offer? I think that, I mean, personally coming from someone that has been in these depths of struggling and also has made it to a full recovery I feel like it's important to hear from someone that's been in that spot and also is in a spot of recovery just to know that you need to trust the process Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to do in the time because in a way your eating disorder wants you to feel like it's really wrong to trust the process and it, it feels like your eating disorder is screaming but the thing is things scream when they die (laughs) <laughs> and it's true I mean and your, your yeah. needs to die because it, it's trying to destroy you so I think trusting that process and even through the hardest most dark moments within your recovery just know that you're going to gain something from it if you allow yourself to I mean yeah. you can get some of the most beautiful things out of situations that seem to be the worst Oh, yeah. I mean, look at you and me. You're helping people. I'm helping people. Like, we're doing things from our struggles, which I think is just an amazing journey because I think we've both been through some stuff and you come out the other side. Like, there is an end. And I, I like that you said that because it's patience is a virtue, you know? Like, yeah. you need to trust in it. You need to give it more than a couple of days. You need to give it the time that it needs to grow, which, yeah. yeah, it's hard to see in the moment. But if you have patience, you will get through it. Yeah, I think with anything in life, really, if you, if you look at it and think, of what can I gain out of the situation or what can this teach me, you, you can learn a lot. And honestly, my eating disorder pushed me to be a better, healthier person than I ever would have been without it. Yeah, yeah. And it's made you, I don't like identifying with eating disorders, right? Like, I'm not bulimic anymore. And, but it did, it was part of my past and it made me someone that I am today. And yeah that's fantastic in a way because I you know I grew stronger from it but yeah it's important yeah like a lot of those those traits that really helped develop and fuel my eating disorder I'm able to use in the best way possible now I mean Mm. when I developed my eating disorder it was fueling off of my drive my perfectionism my stubbornness and I learned to channel that into other things in more positive and healthy ways Right. Yeah. People don't give themselves enough. They don't give themselves enough credit because people that are going through the eating disorder, they're like, I'm horrible. I have no control of these things. But it's like, um, you have a lot of things that you're handling right now. If you just channel that into something else, you, it would be amazing for your life and you have a lot of skills. So yeah, yeah 
yeah I'm very like work with or against you yeah exactly yeah you need to own your talents which is a big thing I mean I'm all for like developing new skills and learning I think that's very important but finding what you're good at and trying to use that to the best of your ability is very amazing yeah sure yeah Mm -hmm. it's like owning your habits working with them so I love that advice Mm -hmm. yeah all right well you guys can find Morgan at uh her Instagram it's just Morgan Hanalek I don't know why I have such issues pronouncing people's names it's like anyone's names I'm always gonna find a way to mispronounce it so I'm sorry it's Um, okay (laughs) but her her Instagram has a lot of fun stuff on it and I like that your Instagram is pretty uh bright and like full of smiles I'm sure that's intentional but it's nice and it's just uplifting whenever I see it (laughs) thank you for that um highly recommend you guys follow her and then again you can find her book um somber suffocation on Amazon it's on my book list I'm gonna be reading it soon um yeah is there anything else you want to say Morgan I think I got a lot of it out, actually. (laughs) feel like a little therapy session. (laughs) All right, guys, that was the interview. I hope that you enjoyed it. Morgan was lovely to have on. Great conversation. Check out her Instagram. Check out her book. I was really blessed to have her on and have a perspective about eating disorder therapy. As you guys know, I never got professional therapy, just life coaching. So I really appreciate her coming on for that reason. If Eating disorder therapy is something that you've been thinking about. If you're seeking professional help, just do it. Just rip off the band-aid. Go try to look for those resources. There's no shame in seeking help. Everyone needs help with anything in their life at any point. This is no different. So I hope you guys have a wonderful weekend. Treat yourselves with compassion. Be nice to yourself. I'll talk to you guys later. Bye.